This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I have a few times in my life when I can... I've been able to hallmark something very specific happening, and I'm going to try and explain it, even though it's somewhat difficult to. I live a supernatural life. I know it sounds sort of like Marvel Comics, DC Comics, and it sort of is, but it's just Christianity. And sometimes I don't realize I'm living a supernatural life until God does one very specific thing to remind me of how dependent this life, this body, this mind is upon a supernatural impetus. If I don't have that, I cannot do on this earth what I'm called to do. And in this past year, uh, since October 21st of 2016, I remember that date very, very well. uh, It's the date we closed on this campus. I have had a greater measure of challenge in my life than ever before. And that doesn't mean I haven't had challenge before. It's just an increase and the weights that came upon my shoulders from that point forward, just weird. I mean, just strange. And I, and I, I think I've hinted at that in here, but uh, I had about two months uh, through the end of the year last year that were some of the most weighty months, yet for no logical reason. It wasn't like I could look at it and see a logical reason why it was so heavy, what I was carrying. And here's what I looked at in hindsight, as I looked at what God was teaching me, is he was showing me that I was moving into a greater degree of challenge in my life and that he wanted me to recognize something, that the grace that I had walked with was good for what I had been doing, but now I need a greater measure of him. Instead of looking at it, because what it felt like is that God retracted himself from me and I was just sort of left hanging there. It's like, hey, God, remember me? I'm the one that's trying to serve you and follow you and speak boldly for you. I sort of need that, whatever I've just lost. And in hindsight, I look back and it's like, I didn't lose it. What I did is I entered into a greater theater of challenge. And God was saying, what do you need? Well, I need more of you. Exactly. So what are you going to do about it? In other words, there have been different moments in my life that I can hallmark. I remember one time I was on the phone, uh, just in a radio interview, and I was walking by uh, a window. I mean, I, I remember the moment so vividly, and it's a non-moment in life. There was nothing exciting going on. I was just on a phone call, and I felt like the grace of God was lifted from me for a second. I don't know how long it was, 10 seconds, and I felt it. I felt as human as everyone else would. And I didn't realize that I don't normally not feel human until it was lifted, and then I felt vulnerable. I felt temptable. I felt like the devil could get me. It was weird. And I've had, I had a moment when I was walking through the Boston airport, carrying, uh, rolling a bag, and I felt the same thing. And I felt vulnerable. I felt susceptible, unlike I usually do. And some of you are like, that's my life. However, what I'm saying this for is not to make it sound like I'm some special guy. I'm here to tell you this is actually normal Christianity. And I walk in normal Christianity. And every now and then, God needs to remind me, 
What you're living is not normal uh, to this world. What you have, Eric, is a gift, and it is a gift of grace. It is a sustaining power that enables you to have a buffer against what the typical world would crumble before. So when weights or pressures come on, there is a grace that is able to match it with a smile. I laugh at pressures all the time. I'm able to sing songs, leap for joy when falsely accused. I do it all the time, guys. And yet, there is still a humanity that is Eric Ludi that is still vulnerable if I ever turn away from that grace. If I ever think it's me, it's like the equivalent of being in a higher law of aerodynamics than the law of gravity and being in a plane and flying and getting cocky saying, you know, I don't, I could fly. I don't need this plane. And then jumping out of the plane and finding out what happens. You know, there's a law of gravity still more powerful than you are. Just like the law of sin and death in this world is more powerful than any of us. But when we enter into Jesus Christ, we function after a higher law. And it is a law that gives us a grace to navigate through extremely difficult circumstances the way he would. And so it gives us love for very unlovely people. It gives us energy in situations where the physical body is depleted. It gives us mental clarity in moments when otherwise fog would reign. So if I've just described the antithesis of you, where you have fog, you have physical weakness constantly, and you have a lack of feel or care for anyone on earth around you, what I would say is I would like to introduce you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not just save us from condemnation, just condemnation in hell, but it gives us the life of Jesus Christ here and now so that in this body we can actually function in a way that would be deemed impossible. Hmm. It would. In fact, that's what God specializes in. Building impossible lives that the world cannot mimic in their own strength. You see, we are meant to live in a way relationally that is supernatural, even amongst each other. That's actually the hallmark of our discipleship, the fact that we are disciples of Christ, is that we have a supernatural allotment of love one for the other. We are to be humble and willing to take a low place, unlike the proud, arrogant race of men that we live around. We are willing to go low, to feel low, to take a position of servant, even if everyone mocks us and ridicules us. It makes no difference. We do this for a higher person, a higher purpose. And that is something that we are given grace to do. And so we don't just read about it in the text of Scripture. We actually are intended to animate these things and to do them on this earth. Christianity is not a theory. It's real. The Spirit of God and the enabling grace of God is not just a concept or an idea that we can nod about and go, oh, praise God, and sing a song about. It is meant to be actively imparted to you and engaged and exercised inside of your life. And so if anything that I've said is creating a desire within you for more than what you've had, I'm here to tell you, it's there for the taking. Grab a hold of God just as Jacob did and don't let go until you begin to see a greater work of grace in your life. So, now we get to the message. Tireless. A study in spiritual constancy. Okay, now if I was going to make myself a study and I was to say, okay, Eric, how do you handle your spiritual life over decades? Because I've been doing this for decades of time. 
and I've been very spiritually intentional. And yet, if I were to break it out for you and analyze the life of Eric, there's a reason why I'm giving this message today. I know that there are certain points in time when I am red hot. White forked lightning, you know, could be the description of Eric Ludi. I am on my game. I am sharp spiritually. I have a, a very... Uh, effective way of living each day where I get up and I pursue Jesus. I'm sensitive to the Spirit. And there's other times where it's not that I don't believe the same things that I believe. It's just that I'm not as sharp and I'm not as sensitive to the Spirit. I'm more dull. I'm more vulnerable to frustration, irritation, and people around me can get under my skin a lot quicker. Uh, Little kids that disobey, it seems to feel a little weightier. And I recognize in this that sometimes it's even like, oh, and I need to get this done. I don't have time for this. And okay, I I know that that's a high priority, but uh, in this particular situation, I really need to tend to this. And what I end up doing is subtly cutting out the life source points in my life. And so I don't have as much time to spend with my kids. I don't have as much time to spend with my wife. I need to get this done. These These are situations that I'm very sensitive to. And I recognize there are potential impact upon my spiritual health. As, you know, when you train physically, one of the things you recognize is that when you start to get in shape, it's rather painful. And your muscles are like, excuse me, what are you up to here? Uh, Because I'm not enjoying this. And then you have to say, I don't care if you're not enjoying it, we're going to whip you into shape. And you go through a certain pain. There's a certain getting in shape process that is not what we would call comfortable. But anyone who's ever been in shape knows the feeling that comes with having this body under and having this body doing what you want it to do and saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to go for a run. And your body says, okay, all right. And it actually agrees with you without an argument. It's like, okay, now we've got this thing going. However, if you start to get out of shape and you take just a week off, two weeks off, what happens? I call it the blubber ring. It's, it's, the, it's that that tire that goes around the middle. However, most of us are thinking the physical tire. I could never get a tire around my middle even if I tried. Okay? Uh, Tim laughed at that. Tim can recognize what I mean by that. There's certain ones of us, uh, you know, that can't get the tire. And as a result, people don't realize that we can get soft around the middle too, but it's a spiritual middle. You see, when you take off just to sort of have some me time, what you have a tendency to do is lose the impetus, to lose the strength. And it takes a momentum to live the Christian life. And you don't want to lose it. One of my best pieces of advice that I've ever been given and that I've ever given out is the Spirit of God, when He's blown in your life, keep the sail up. Do not ever take it down. When that wind is blowing, you keep catching it. And the same is true with just spiritual health. When you're healthy, stay healthy. When you're in a rhythm, stay in a rhythm. Fight for that rhythm. And so that's what I'm going to call spiritual constancy. I'm going through a huge life change right now where I don't even know exactly how to answer what it's going to look like in the months ahead. I have time to be able to focus on things that I've been saying for years. Wouldn't it be great if I could focus on that? Now suddenly I have it. Uh Uh-oh, this is a vulnerable time. Because now it's like, you know what? I haven't been able to sleep, get any sleep for years. That's a fact, too. I mean, I I have this Fitbit thing. It tells me how much time I've slept. And over the last two years, I've averaged in the fives, okay? Now, that's an average over years. So it's like, hmm, what if I just took a year and averaged in the sevens? 
I mean, that's still under what a mom would recommend. (laughs) And yet, since I see my susceptibility to, like, taking it easy and sort of settling, I'm giving this message as a personal charge to my own soul to say, no way. Eric, you know why you're here on earth. You have one life to live. Do it well. And so this is a charge from my soul, and you can sort of listen in. Is that fair? In other words, technically it's for all of us, yes. But I just want you to know that this is something that I recognize my susceptibilities. It's weird. In my brain, here's what goes on. And I'm not even trying to plant these thoughts. It's just like I'm soft for them. Uh, You know, you haven't really figured out what's going on with Donald Trump and the media in a long time. This is like a good time. You actually have some space. You could really study that. I'm I'm always so intrigued by things like that. Politics is very intriguing to me. And Donald Trump and his tweeting and the media and their anger is just like so fascinating. And I get mad, you know, and you know I take sides and I get distracted and a little blubber starts forming. Because instead of having this mind fixed on things above, instead of having it fixed on the things that Paul gives as a list, things that are noble, things that are pure, things that are loving, things that are of good report. Well, that knocks out all the media, doesn't it? Things that are of good report. (laughs) And if I'm going to fix my mind on these things, then I need to actively do that. I'm also very intrigued. You know, I've always loved the NFL. The NFL is a huge bait point for me. So now they're taking knees. And so it's like all the more, now I have Trump and the NFL combined. Oh, I just need to know something. Someone give me some information. I'd like walk by me on the street and go, did you hear? No, but uh, you know, I'll I'll minister you, dear brother, as you share with me uh, all the facts. I see my susceptibility to return to things that I know are vulnerabilities for me. Does that make sense? I was going through with the, the students this past week uh, some of my vulnerabilities. Some of you have heard them, like video games. I just stay away from video games. I mean, they just do me no good. I get addicted to video games because I have to beat them. And I don't like it when a video game's beating me. I'm going to beat you. And so I will just get addicted to the crazy thing. I'll be walking around throughout the day thinking about a video game. And it used to be SimCity. That was the one that got me. Uh, I was just, I remember I was married. Last night, I didn't have any kids, and I decided, I don't know how we decided this, it's like, you know, other people have things that they do other than just ministry, and so, you know, maybe I should, like, get one of these games and just sort of see what people are enjoying, so I got SimCity. Well, that was the near death of me. All throughout the day, I'm thinking about how I'm going to build a hospital here, and if I, if I did this, then that would increase my city, and I mean, this is ridiculous. It says no benefit to anyone on planet Earth, and it was killing me. So I remember I took the, it was like a CD that you stick in the the computer. I took it out, crushed it, and threw it away. I was like, I am not being subservient to that ridiculousness. Puzzles are my other ones. Some of you have heard me say that. I noticed, you know, some people will give me root beers and and chai tea, you know, because they know that these are some of my favorites. No one's ever given me a puzzle. That would be a really interesting moment if you gave me a puzzle. Like, just test me. It's like, here's a... Here's a puzzle. Uh, Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) That'll be an interesting moment to see how that will all unfold. But in other words, I'm vulnerable to it because my brain is always trying to solve. So I will leave the puzzle on a table and I'll be thinking about it all day long. I'll be thinking, where was that one piece? I wonder if it's just a different color scheme. I mean, why would I not be able to find it? 
And for those of you that cannot relate to my weaknesses, it's just ridiculous, I'm sure, to look at it. However, when you recognize your weaknesses, that is where you put an extra guard up. And though they may be ridiculous, and most of our weaknesses really are, if we were to lay them out and say, we did this one, one, one semester with the guys. I remember, I think it was over the summer. All the guys started going around and sharing the different things that get them. And I tell you what, some of the funniest things in the list, I was like, I'm going to laugh at you now. You guys have been laughing at me. I'm laughing at you. One person, it was like guns or something like that. Guns? I've never once thought about guns. I could care less about guns. So I was like, ha, ha, uh, laughing. You know, we all have our susceptibility. Could you imagine spending all day long thinking about guns? Yeah. <laughs> it was Dwight. <laughs> In other words, there's different things that can catch us and that can turn our attentions in a direction that does not edify or build up. It does not mean that these are immoral dimensions to life. And if there's a containment for them that truly can be life-giving, I don't see anything wrong with them. But we all know the different areas that can get us, okay? I, so that's, I'm just starting saying I have them and I recognize that in this time of transition, there's an extra susceptibility to stay in bed longer, to not have as long a prayer time, to just take a couple weeks off of intensive study. To do, you don't need to continue doing this, do you? I mean, why are you doing it anymore, Eric? If you don't have this model, then you could take this break. I recognize that voice. I'm not even saying it's from the devil. I'd say it's old Eric lingering outside the windows, knocking, going, hey, come on. Come on, we could do this a different, we could reset the system at least for a couple weeks. I mean, if you've been averaging in the fives for your, your sleep time, you know, for, for years, why don't we just increase that for a season? You'd probably feel so much healthier. I actually feel healthy right now. Why do I need to change anything? So, welcome to my world. A study in spiritual constancy. Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I'm going to read that last line there again because that's sort of the point. Watch, therefore. As the conclusion to the entire story, watch. Stay on guard. What a watchman does is he stays alert and awake. He stays ever vigilant because his entire job description is to monitor that which is potentially going to encroach Upon the, ta- uh, upon the city, walls. And so watch therefore, for you, neither, n- you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So the message to my soul is, Eric, watch, and watch well. 
You know the generation in which you live. You know that darkness is creeping over this generation and fast. I need you alert and I need you awake. And if that means you get four hours of sleep a night as an average for the next two years, so be it. I will give you the grace that you need to be excellent in what you are called to do. Big promises around the supper table. So the last supper, you guys remember uh, Peter? And uh, Peter's saying, hey, Jesus, I would die for you. Okay, there is, there is no way that I would ever betray you. I, I would lay down my life for you. And it says, and the other disciples said the same. In other words, we have some big promises here. And here's one of the things I oftentimes tell students. Don't make big statements of how you are going to live for Jesus Christ. Make big statements of how able he is, but don't make big statements about how able you are. One of the things that I have recognized is that anytime I've barked a big bark, God needs to sort of reveal the fact that, Eric, you're not all that. I am no different than those disciples around that table, and oftentimes I've thought it was me that could live for Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you, out of personal experience, one thing I can assure you of is Eric Ludi is unable to live out the Christian life. There is only one who is able to live out the Christian life, and that's Jesus Christ. And unless he moves in and takes these hands and these feet, takes these eyes, this mouth, this body, and makes it his, and he is the fuel source for it, this body will fail in this mission. So we have the big promises around the supper table, and you do know what happened, don't you? Peter did deny Christ three times before the cock crowed, and it didn't look so hot. All the disciples fled, all the ones that had their bold statement. You see, what they needed was actually what was going to come 50 days later. They needed that cross, they needed the death of Jesus Christ, so that that life that enabled Christ to walk all the way to the cross boldly, to stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane, because that's, this is a story of sleeping and being awake. Jesus is the only one that stays awake. All the other guys have heavy eyelids. You ever had that where you know you're supposed to be awake and you just cannot stay awake? I remember my dad gave me the assignment of being uh, in the driver's, uh, the passenger seat, you know, in the, in the front. And we were on a, a trip and my dad said, okay, your job is to feed me crackers and cookies and whatever I need and to uh, talk with me and keep me awake. I mean, this is a big job description for a young boy. It's like, I get to sit in the front seat. Mama has to go to the back. I mean, this is fun. I, I have never felt so tired in my entire life. I knew what my job was, and that was to stay awake. It wasn't that hard, right? On paper, it didn't seem that hard. But I could... I could not, I kept dozing, and then I'd pop away, huh, huh, and then do you need a, a cracker? And my dad's like, no, thank you. You know, he's, he's realizing that I hadn't given him any conversation at all. My dad's like just trying to muscle his way through. Now, I know what this is like. By the way, now I know what my dad has gone through. But we can make big promises. I'll stay awake. No, I won't. We are physically weak. We are unable in and of this package to do the bold work of the kingdom. In other words, it's one thing to say, I, I could stay awake. Physically, you may be right that you're good at staying awake. You add a spiritual component of demonic oppression to that, and you're going to find that your eyelids suddenly feel like they have 100-pound dumbbells tied to them. When you try and walk into a spiritual battle with physical strength, you will fail. 
Heavy eyelids in the Garden of Gethsemane. Could you imagine what these guys felt like? They were missing one key thing, and Jesus knew it. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so they're they're in physical bodies trying to do spiritual work. These are strong men. And Jesus says, stay awake and watch. It's that simple. Stay awake and watch. It's the same thing all his parables say. Hey, guys, watch. Hey, the devil's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. You better be watchful. Uh, Yeah, I got it. And you're out cold. In other words, our susceptibility to sleep is very high, and spiritual sleep is the highest. We can so easily go into a spiritual slumber and lose the edge that God has given us. 1 Timothy 4, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So physical training actually has value. It does. However, there is another dimension that God wants to begin to exercise, and that is our spiritual man. And your spiritual man has to be exercised. We can talk about physical exercise, which bodily exercise has value. It does. And if you ignore the physical side of your your existence, your spiritual side doesn't have a healthy context in which to thrive. But there is something even greater than the physical exercise, and that is a spiritual man that must be exercised. Exercise. For many of us, it's a bad word. I don't know if you you feel that. I I like the word. I, I think it's fun. Uh, it's a great word, even though I, there's some serious pain that comes my way. This last week, I don't know if you can see my hand well enough, but I have all these blood marks all over my uh, knuckles because Robbie had a box uh, jump thing that we were doing. And so he was like, no, you need to get lower, you need to get lower. And so then I was in position to jump, right? And I went like this and I hit the box. This is a heavy box. And I hit the box, knocked it over. That's like punching a heavy box and knocking it over. So I was very impressed. I'm glad it fell, at least. <laughs> Would have been terrible if it just sort of went back into place. But I tell you what, my knuckles were swollen for the last few days. I mean, this comes from exercise. There's some war wounds that I could show you from trying to be in shape. I mean, it's tough stuff. Exercise. But I still get a smile on my face when I see the word. Vigorously doing that which is uncomfortable. That's exercise. You see, when something is uncomfortable, what do we have a tendency to do? Not do it. It's like, well, that's uncomfortable. And yet, to truly get in shape and to exercise, whether it's physically or spiritually, you need to vigorously do that which is uncomfortable, zealously eliminating that which hinders forward progression. If something is standing in the way, if Fox News is standing in the way of your time with God, then remove Fox News. It's that simple. If there are things that are hindering you from focusing, zealously remove them. If if you have a weight that is besetting you, throw it off. Diligently lifting that which is heavy. Continually entering the theater of pain with intentionality and enthusiasm. Getting out of bed when you determine to get out of bed. Boy, we could highlight that one. You know how hard it is when you, in early morning, some of you have heard me say this many, many times, but when you, when you make a decision of when you're going to get up, get up at that time. When you discuss with yourself in the morning hours, if that was the right time that you should have actually rethought this, because now that it's early morning, it makes a lot more sense to stay in bed. 
I guarantee you that your body will never approve of the time you previously set. If you consult your body in the early morning, I can tell you right now what it's gonna tell you. And you can say, wow, he is so smart. How did he know that? Because I know the human body. And I know that it is not in agreement with the disciplines of the spiritual man. You have to tell your body what to do. Don't wait for it to tell you what it wants to do. Constantly pursuing greater strength, greater endurance, and greater excellence. Shouting at your soul to keep going, keep moving, keep pushing, keep standing, even when the strength is gone. So exercise in godliness. This is the life of Jesus in you. To exercise it is the pinnacle of health. The reason we train this outer man is to be in agreement with the spiritual man. In other words, how you eat, how you live, the disciplines you have with this outer body actually do matter. But if you could have a six pack and be bulging with muscle, some of the girls are like, I'm not, actually, that's not my dream. You could look really good on the outside and yet be dead on the inside. God is more interested in you being alive in the inside and then accompanying that with the vehicle that is ready to do God's work. Exercise in godliness. What is godliness? The demonstration of God's nature in and through the Christian life. The glove with hand inside. Demonstrating the action and strength of the one who can do the work. Now many of you have probably heard my illustration of the glove and the hand. Uh, this is a hand, right? But it's invisible, so you can't see it right now. So when it waves at you, you're not seeing it. Hey, guys, I know you think you're seeing it, but you're not. It's invisible. And when it points at you and singles you out and then beckons you to it, it you can't see it. You see, God is invisible. It says no man has seen God at any time, which is a really strange statement. However, we've seen him. How did we see him? We've seen him in and through a glove. Jesus is like a glove. Jesus, though he is God, became a man. We are gloves. We are made in the image of God. And when we yield ourselves to God, now when God moves, the world can see God. When Jesus did what the hand was doing, he only did that which the hand was doing. When the Father pointed, Jesus pointed, because he was the glove. And when the Father spoke, Jesus spoke. He only did that which the Father was doing. Now we are Christians. We are meant to have the hand of God inside of us. It's called the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ. So that when we rest upon that, when we abide on that hand, when God moves, when his spirit moves, what does the world see? They see the movements of God, and that's godliness. The mystery of godliness is found in that exact illustration. It is not your ability, it is God's ability. If I just took you as a glove, and we gave an example of you up in front, it's like, okay, come up, oh, glove, uh, separate from God, and we give you a command, go pull a weed, and we dropped you. What you would do is go <laughs> to the ground, and we'd be like, that is very unimpressive. You see, even the most simple spiritual commands you cannot do, because in and of yourself, you were not designed by God to do this work without him. You are a glove. A glove, there's nothing wrong with being a glove, but a glove loses its purpose real quick when it rejects the hand. And that's exactly what many of us have done in our life. And so returning to Christ is giving our life back to the one who created us. And as a result, we are now fit to then exercise godliness. There's always two, and 
The sheep and the goats are an illustration of that. In the end, uh, God will divide the sheep from the goats. And ironically, the parable of the virgins is in the same series of Christ talking. He's talking about twos. You have a wise and foolish. Well, you also have goats and sheep. What is the difference between the two kinds of virgins? One did, one didn't. What's the difference between the sheep and the goats? One did, one didn't. What is the difference between wheat and tares? They both look similar. Sheep and goats both say, they both look similar. Foolish and wise virgins, they're both clothed like virgins and, you know, that are waiting for a bridegroom. They look similar. What is the difference? Wheat produces fruit, tares don't. Sheep produce fruit, if you want to say it that way. They do what Christ would have them do, and the goats don't. The virgins are supposed to have oil for their lamp. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in your lamp, what's the good of it? You see, if you do not have the muscle of God working on your behalf, then this whole thing is a sham. You're going to be making big promises around a supper table, but you're not going to be performing that which God is asking you to perform. The church that exercises, and then there's the church that sleeps through its alarm clock. Sorry to do that to you guys. Uh, I could have said the church that pushes its snooze button. But in other words, it's one that negotiates with its body and allows its body, its physical cravings, its weaknesses to define its obedience. If you're looking to feel good before you do spiritual things, you may never do them. You have to decide in your spiritual man what you are here on earth to do, why you are here, and how you're supposed to do it. And it starts with an agreement with God to say, God, you take this body and you move it in the direction that you desire it to go. And if that means I have to get up earlier to pursue you, so be it. If that means I need to get to bed earlier at night so that I can get up earlier, so be it. I desire to be an athlete that is built to do the work of the king on this earth. I want to be a glove that rests upon your agenda and doesn't have my own. Because if I'm my own, I'm going to be no different than Peter in that courtyard denying you three times before the cock crows. And I do not want to be such a man. I do not want to be the virgins that are found to be wanting in the very hour it's needed most. I don't want to be found without oil in my lamp. I don't want to be caught not doing the things of heaven because to do the things of heaven, we need help to do them. You must have that oil. You must be in agreement with God. You must allow him to move you forward. So we have an opposite character, and that's the sluggard. The sluggard would be the opposite of the athlete. The sluggard is one unwilling to do that which is uncomfortable. He's unwilling to exercise. No, that's, that's too much. I just don't feel like it. I don't know how many of you have ever had that thought go through your head that I just don't feel like doing it right now. You know it's the right thing to do, but you don't feel like doing it. I don't know what you think I would say to that right now. I know the feeling, guys. Remember who this is for? You're like, I think it's for me, Eric. It's for me first, okay? I recognize my propensity to have that quote. It's like, boy, I haven't been able to think about what I want for a long time. You know, when you have six kids and you have as many obligations and job descriptions as I do, uh, you can be susceptible to a little season of blubber, uh, but you can't be. You have to stay sharp, and that's what this is all about. I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know if I'm catching you at a good time or a bad time for this message. However, if it's a time for me, 
of transition, it could be a time for you. Or you could be nearing that time, and this is a good reminder. Or you could have been in that time for two weeks and been building puzzles and doing video games for the last two weeks and reading stories about NFL players kneeling and Donald Trump. And I'm not saying that my weaknesses are your weaknesses. I just want you to, I just want to stir the pot a little. Desiring someone else to do the heavy lifting for his soul. You see, could someone else do that work? There's a lost and dying world out there. Is there a missionary that could go and take care of that? You know, I really don't want to have to do it myself. I need a break. You see, that is the attitude that kills the spiritual man. If you try and take a break from physical exercise, imagine taking a break from just health altogether. You just can't do it. Your body begins to immediately break down. So does your spiritual man. If you want to maintain health, you have to be constant. The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. I know fat doesn't translate very well for us, but that's good in this uh, context. The diligent is the one that is constant, the one that is always laboring, the one that is always working. The soul of the slugger, they desire good things. Oh, I want to please God. I want to resemble Jesus. I want to do the right thing. But they're a sluggard, which means they're unwilling to do that, which is uncomfortable. The desire of the slothful kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. And we have the old, you know, the English version of labor there just to make it feel all the more wise, uh, too. The desire of the slothful kills him. What does he desire? He desires to get more sleep. He desires to think about himself. He desires to do it only when it feels good. What's that going to do to him? It's going to kill him. In other words, I'm going to cut to the chase. If you live as a slothful, if you refuse to do that which is uncomfortable in your spiritual life, you die. His hands refuse to do the hard work. If it's difficult, oh, I don't want to do that. That's just too much for me right now. Maybe in the next season when I sort of feel more like it. That next season likely will not come. And with every passing season, what you're going to find is a little jiggle around the middle. More jiggle. More jiggle. Bloop, bloop, bloop. I mean, you can just sort of play that out. I don't know how big a guy can get, but that's what's going to happen spiritually. And you're going to hog up more than one chair in this, in this uh, church. The Christian sluggard, unwilling to get uncomfortable and therefore unable to yield a harvest of souls. We have one go around at this thing called life, and it's short. Those of us that are, have gone over the halfway point uh, start to feel that. It's like, whoa, that was quick. And those of you that are a little past the halfway point are like, yeah, it's quicker than you realize, Eric. This goes fast. We have one chance at it. And how many of us put off doing the real work of why we're here on earth for some other day? That's how the sluggard thinks. One day when I really feel like it, then I'll sort of stir myself to action and I'll be a noble Christian and I'll give all I have to Jesus. When do you think that day is actually going to come? Today is that day. This is when you stir yourself. Allow the Spirit of God to blow that wind of the Holy Spirit upon you to say, let's do this thing now. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. It's, cold. it's, it's really cold out there. I mean, however, the harvest is ready. It's ready right now. But it's cold out there. Whoever told you it was going to be easy? There's a job that needs to be done. And yes, it might be a little cold. But let's get this thing done. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. 
built for anything and everything. Wouldn't it be great to be a Christian that fits that description? You're built for anything and everything. That's actually been my thought for years. You see, I was not raised to be built for anything and everything. There are some of you that came from backgrounds where you have I have a hundred skills, you know, and I can call on you. I know a few of you in here, and I have called on you. And I can say, could you, uh, like, fix this for me? And the, you know, there's usually a response back, like, didn't your dad ever teach you this? No, no, my dad taught me uh, to get a good education so that I could pay others to do it for me. <laughs> Dead serious, that's, that's how I was raised. It's called white-collar ridiculousness, Okay. <laughs> But if you're built for anything and everything, it doesn't mean you're just built to, you know, change a drain pipe or fix the electrical, which would be really nice. Leslie would dream of that, uh, that Eric would actually rise up to be built for anything and everything. It's hard when you get to be 46 to suddenly learn everything that needs to be learned that you could have been learning all growing up. And so it's, it's harder. That's why I'm saying this is a good idea from the start. However, spiritually... There's another truth to this. Some of you that are built to handle drain pipes and electrical are not built spiritually to handle any and every challenge that could ever come your way. Because there are relational challenges, financial challenges. There's health challenges. Are you fit and ready to handle this dark world in which we are engaged? And that's, of course, more of what I'm talking about because it takes some of the emphasis off me not knowing electrical. Uh, But I still think that would be really good to know. 2 Corinthians 11. Now look at Paul. Look what this man is built for. This is extraordinary, and I want us to just evaluate this as we're going through it. I mean, some of us are pushing snooze even before we get to this scripture. But I want you to attempt to not push snooze, to get up out of bed and say, God, build me. Build me for what you intend me to do on this earth. Now, I'm not saying your life's going to look exactly like Paul's, but we need to be ready We need to be built in such a way where we are fit spiritually to do whatever he leads us to do. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Five. To receive 39 lashes once means you're that close to death. The reason you're never supposed to cross over 40 is, first of all, it's a command from God. But that 40 point is literally at the point of death. That's how much blood has exited your body. Your entire body is lashed open. It's just, your back is just a massive pulp. And then could you imagine that heals over? And then it's reopened. Five times! Could you imagine what Paul would look like on the beach in his shorts? Not very pretty. What this man went through is something I don't think most of us in this room can touch. The suffering and body that this man went through, that's the first thing in his list. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. By the way, it usually takes one time to be stoned to be dead because that's what stoning is. It means to crush your head with large rocks. And what does it lead to? Death. In this case, they take him outside the city and Paul, with his head all smashed in, pops back to life and then goes back into the city of Lystra to continue preaching. That's extraordinary. So once I was stoned... Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea. Snooze. 
I mean, we can't even handle this. This is so far beyond. This isn't even our life, and we want to push the snooze button. Dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst often, uh, thirst often without food and cold and exposure. Now, if that wasn't enough of a list, he adds a little addendum to it. Uh, apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Oh, wow. Okay, I don't know if you ever heard me complain, but if you do ever hear me complain, just say 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 28. You see, as Christians, we are built to be athletes. We are built to be able to endure the greatest weights, the greatest pressures with joy without self-pity, but with triumph. Paul isn't bemoaning. He's declaring. These are wounds. And he can literally say, look, look what I've endured. He can show them the pierce wounds, and he can say, but I have grace. Look at how God can carry a man through. I have all these weights, and yet I'm not crushed. It's supernatural. It's impossible. My life is impossible, and yet compared to this, it's like the little... Uh, I had a peewee version. I don't even know that I want to even mention it next to this. This is something special. I want to grow up to be like this. It doesn't mean I desire my back to be opened up. It doesn't mean I, that I want to be shipwrecked or that I want to have sleepless nights. All you have to do is have some kids and you have sleepless nights. I could put that one in. Uh, sleepless nights. Uh, my list isn't very impressive, though. Are you built for what God has put you on this earth for. To grow up unto such a maturity, you need to be constant. Uh, <clears throat> I used to, I've pronounced this wrong for so many years, it's, it almost feels like I should continue to pronounce it wrong. But it's ekkakeio. Ekkakeio. That's right, ekkakeio. I've always said Ekakakio. Isn't that what it is? Ekakakio. That's how I would pronounce it. And so I've been mispronouncing this for years. I want you guys to be excellent in your Greek. So, uh, however, I'm going to give you a, a definition that isn't in Strong's Concordance. Spiritual flab. Okay? If you look up Strong's, they're not going to give you that one. So I'm giving you a little bonus insight into this. When you mispronounce a word for so long, you get extra meanings for it too. It means empty of the fighting spirit exhausted, wearied, tired, and faint. Even reading the word, you start to get a little tired. Even trying to pronounce the word, you get tired. For which cause, which is the glory of God, we faint not. Uh-huh, that's our word. No ekakeo. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy... We do not get spiritual flab. I know we're going through difficulties, but we do not allow this empty spirit, this tiredness to rule in our body. And he spoke a parable unto them, this is Jesus that did, to this end, that men ought always to pray and never to grow tired, never to allow that spiritual blubber ring to form around their middle, to not faint. No ekakeo. That's our marching orders. Listen to this one. Pray without ceasing. You ever heard that scripture and go, yeah, yeah, right. To hold on to God and not let go. To not, this is the constancy concept. In other words, I don't know that it means that you have to be saying in the name of Jesus, amen, constantly throughout your day. 
I think it's a disposition of focus to say, my life depends on you. It is a connectedness. And there are thousands of things that want to distract us from that connectedness. And God's basically saying, stay connected. Stay constant. Keep the hand in the glove. This is how we live. Okay, well, I have a story that goes way back. I, I want to even say this was before Ellerslie even began. But it was. It was before Ellerslie began. I was, God was teaching me this exact truth. And the, the way that I would always say it is no downtime. No downtime. Stay sharp, stay focused, because I recognized I was coming out of a season where I would go in and out of spiritual strength. And it was really bothering me because I recognized I was susceptible, but I couldn't quite figure it out. Why would I want to have a, a binge on some like drama series from television? You know, I just need to, I just, I just want to zone out and watch this thing. If any of you have ever heard our uh, Leslie and me teach on uh, fortification, and you'll recognize that we, we lived pure, right? But then we had this vulnerability, like when we were done with big seasons, we would go and watch, you know, 10 movies or something like that. And we tried to have pure ones. But does that make any difference? I mean, our life was like sucked into this vortex of nonsense. And our brain, I mean, that was our way of recouping and re-energizing and what we did is we lost our spiritual compass in those times as opposed to refined. And so God was working on us to refine how we go about doing this and how we handle uh, what we would typically refer to as downtime. So my motto became no downtime. Who invented downtime? Why do I need to go down? Why don't I just stay sharp always? Why don't I just stay in shape? I mean, no one ever told me I should do that. So I decided to start doing that. And my life has changed dramatically. That does not mean that I don't still have the pull towards this thing known as downtime or me time or self-satisfaction time. So as the story goes, Leslie and I, uh, when we wrote the book Wrestling Prayer, entered into a season where we basically said, if it's true that prayer changes the world, then why don't we do it more? We, we still prayed. I mean, Leslie and I prayed, but we, we had this thought... Well, if this truly is the weapon of choice that God has that we've been given and the act of our faith is to engage in it, well, then why don't we do it? And so we entered into an experiment. That experiment is captured in the book Wrestling Prayer. And it transformed our life. It is actually the basis of how we got this campus. Everything in the beginnings of what you are a part of here started because of that season of prayer. We were praying for, I, I want to say, three hours a day and on average, okay? So this is like, and sometimes all through the night. We had all sorts. What God was doing in us in that time was extraordinary. And this went on for a long period of time. So Leslie uh, and, I don't remember if it was Leslie and Hudson, I think Hudson may have been born, uh, went down to Texas. And I was at home alone. And, you know, those are always really uh, fun times because you can get things done. You know, as a man, I'm just, oh, I could get this done, I could get this done, I could get this done. And so what I decided is that, uh, all right, I've been praying very intensely. And so how about this? I'm going to drop to maybe about an hour of prayer a day so I can take those extra two hours and get things done and maximize the time that Leslie's gone. If any of you hear that I was praying an hour a day, some of you are like, that is amazing. Well, for me, my momentum and my training, spiritual, my exercise, was a lot more vigorous than that. So this is sort of like, just go, 
And I was getting stuff done, and I love to get stuff done. I mean, so I was working late into the night. It was like 1 in the morning. I usually get to bed at like 9.30. It's like 1 in the morning, and I'm finishing up something. I'm getting that rush of, you know, checking things off. I'll even make lists just so I can check them off. I already did them, but I'll check them off. Make the list and check it. I love checking things off. And so it was late that night, uh, maybe around 1, and I was just physically exhausted. And I remember getting into the bed that night, and one of my traditions was always being sensitive to the Spirit of God, even as I lay in bed and say, God, even as I sleep tonight, if you want to wake me up, you can. And I'd gone through a whole season where God could wake me up in the night, and I could pray and be happy about it. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are like, that's possible? It is, but you can lose it real quick. And so I was laying in bed that night, and have you ever had it where you feel like your body is getting like it's dissolving into the pillow and the sheets, where it's like, eh. it's even painful because you're so tired. You're like laying there, go, ah, oh. and you even almost need to groan. It's like painful, it's like, oh, and yet you feel you really like it too. It's like, oh, okay, time for sleep. And I had the thought go through my head. I'm glad God's not asking me to stay up and pray tonight. Okay, that's a dangerous thought to have go through your head. And I mean, the moment after that, I. I, it's sort of hard to explain how I knew this, but I felt like God was saying, <clears throat> Eric, will you watch with me? And I rebuked it as the devil. I refused to accept that that could be God. God would not do that to me. Not when it's 1 a.m. and he knows I usually get to bed at 9.30 and my body is spent. I need to sleep and I just, I, I don't think I can. And I was out, okay? I heard it, heard the request. I resisted the request, and I went to sleep, okay? And I, I had a dream that night. I had a dream that, uh, this is in the days of Mike Shanahan, uh, the coach of the Denver Broncos, and he called me up, and he had heard about my athletic prowess, and he invited me, <laughs> you guys laugh. <laughs> I had always thought that if the Broncos, I mean, if Ed McCaffrey, is a, a guy that looks sort of like me, uh, could be a wide receiver. It's like, I could be a wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. They would never give me a shot, though. So, I mean, the time I least expected is in the middle of the night, I get a call from Mike Shanahan, and he invites me to Broncos training camp. Sort of like I heard that you've been talking about the fact that you can do this. They're like, huh. And I, I remember thinking, boy, I haven't, I'm not in shape. I, like, I'm not ready for this. Well, it, it didn't matter. It started today. And so I, like, show up at Broncos training camp, and I'm thinking, I, they need to give you more warning for this. This isn't appropriate. They can't just call you at the last minute. I mean, if I just had time to train, I could prove that I would, I could be as good as Ed McCaffrey. So we're doing these tires, and I'm, like, tripping over them. It was a disaster. People are looking at me like, who invited him? And I was humiliated, and I was upset because they didn't give me any advance warning for this. And I was mad and embarrassed and humiliated, and I woke up. Have you ever had it where your dream is just sort of hovering around you as you get up? And, you know, I get out of the bed, and I'm walking to the, to the bathroom, and I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm mad. It's like, why didn't they invite me? I could, I could have shown them that I can do these things, but I need a little more lead time. They can't just call me up in the middle of the night and expect me to be in shape. <sighs> and uh, I remember, it's like the whole thing flashes before me. I don't know if you remember what story I started out this whole thing with. It was the virgins, the ten virgins. 
you got the five foolish, and you got the five wise. I mean, all of this is coming crashing down on me. Eric, why weren't you ready? Why weren't you in shape? You see, I asked for you last night. I came to you and I said, would you join me in prayer? And you were not ready for it. And I even had this sense that what did I miss? It's almost like God's saying back to me, you'll never know. You'll never know what would have happened last night. But you allowed yourself to get distracted and you missed me. Now, praise God, that was a small M miss. It wasn't a capital M miss like we read about in Matthew 25 with the virgins. It's like, whoa. But I tell you what, it caused a soul shudder to cascade through my entire body. In other words, like, God, I recognize what I did. I've gotten off my game. I've excused this lethargy under the banner of trying to take advantage and get some work done. But Lord, I do not want to be like the foolish virgins. Virgins, I was caught out of shape. I was caught unready, and I felt every inch of it. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I don't want to be caught unready. I want to freshly be sharpened by the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to rest on your past strengths and your past successes. I can tell you about countless hours of prayer that I've engaged in over my spiritual lifetime. And I can try and impress you. I don't think it impresses God at all. I think what he measures is right now. You see, if you did all that, Eric, you should be sharp now. This is the moment in which we live. This is the moment for sharpness and attentiveness. This is when God is moving. Let's allow God to work now. And that's the commission to my soul and through my soul to you. I want us to be in shape and ready for what God wants to do. You never know when the call is going to come. I could not believe that Mike Shanahan called me then. Out of all the times, I always wanted to be a Bronco. And finally, the opportunity comes, and I wasn't ready. Well, guess what? I want to be a great Christian man. And I don't want to miss the opportunity when God says, now, Eric, this is why I invested all of that in you, was for this moment. Are you ready to stand up and be an example of me? And I'm sleeping. I want to be ready for what I've been trained for. I do not want to miss it because of a season of sluggishness. The ten virgins. Do we have the oil in our lamp? Are we sharp and are we ready right now? And if not... Here's what we do. We get ready right now. We rouse our soul for battle, and we say, all right, let's draw our sword. Let's make sure it's sharp. Let's make sure we're fit for battle, whatever it takes, because that call is coming. That bridegroom is returning. We have an opportunity to live this life right, but it takes a supernatural oil. You need an impetus from another world, and you need to have it full. No downtime. The principle of 100%. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about the principle of 100%, but here's how I would reason through it. In every situation, God wants me to give 100%. And so when I'm here this morning, I want to give 100%. I don't want to reserve a little for later. I want to give everything he has given to me to you. Now in the process, right after this, someone might need ministry. So imagine that my 100% has been depleted down to 50%. And so, Eric, 
I still have something, but what we have a tendency to do is preserve our 50%. And so I could give you the cold shoulder and say, you know, not now, I'm tired. Or I could say, okay, God, I recognize that I'm on assignment and I need to be sharp right now. So I have this much, and so what do I give out of what's remaining? 100% of it. Now let's imagine that we get done here and uh, we're going home and my kids really need some extra time because you know, that happens a lot. When you have six little ones, you, some of them need some extra time, some daddy attention, right? Daddy attention is really hard to give when you're down to 10% in the tank. And yet if I have 10%, how much of it should I be willing to give in that situation? 100% of it. So even if you're low in the fuel tank, whatever you have in there, are you willing to give it all? Here's the principle that I've learned. Because what I'm describing to you might sound a little fantastical, and I'm here to tell you it's supernatural. And I've proven it time and time and time again in my life that when my tank is low, when I'm physically spent, when I am mentally on the verge of, of uh, nothing going on in my brain anymore, I was just like, wow, I can hardly think straight. And God gives me a clear assignment in front of me. Here's what I know. If I give 100% of what I have remaining in that moment, God makes up the difference. Every single time, God has given me supernatural sustenance. I remember one time, I was so weak, and Leslie said, we need to pray. And I don't want to ever argue those words. When my wife says that we need to pray, I want to be able to say yes and amen. However, this particular situation was one where I found a grumble being very near my soul. And I had to say, no, 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 that's good. It's good that my wife wants to pray, and I want to be sensitive to that desire that she has. I mean, it was a burden for her. We need to pray. <sighs> I was so tired. And I, I pace when I pray, too. There's a reason for that, because when I go into the kneeling position, put my hand, I, I get the drool going, and my eyes close, and I fall asleep. It's like, well, that's not effective, so guess what Eric does? I move. Have you ever had it where you're walking and praying, but you're blacking out as you're doing it? And it's like, whoa, that's scary. Coffee table right there. It's like, okay, God, you're going to need to do something. I just keep praying. It's like, God, I'm going to pray until I break through this fog. I know my physical body is in defiance right now. But there's a spiritual burden that is greater than my physical longing for sleep. And right now, I'm calling on your spirit, to give me the unction to be able to do what I know I need to do as a man right now. And I, even in that situation, the one I'm describing, I don't, it took about an hour, and I busted through into a whole new second wind. And late into the night, I, I remember I was just on fire. I was charged up physically, all riled up too. And then we were done. And it's like... All right, give me something else to fight. And God's like, go to bed. And I'm like, I'm, no, I can't sleep. And God was in his sense of humor even showing me. He said, Eric, whatever you need, I can give you. The point is most of us don't want to have to go to the supernatural cabinet. We want to rely on what's here and we want to excuse our lethargy on the fact that we don't feel like we have enough. My question to you is, do you have enough in your own sustenance, in your own pockets to live this Christian life in the first place? No. But do you have enough in Christ? The answer is yes and amen. You have everything you need to do what you are called to do in this body. I know it can be hard and I know it's uncomfortable. 
You have not been commissioned to a life of comfort and ease. You've been commissioned to a life that bears the likeness of Jesus Christ, that shows forth his glory. And that will come with challenge. That will come with trials. That will come with tribulations. But it also comes with the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the sustenance of, that can only be found in him, the consolation of the Holy Spirit. There is no downside to the Christian existence. None. Though it be challenging, it's sort of like training with Aaron Vogel. It hurts at times, and every now and then you get your knuckles bashed in. And yet, guess what? Big smile on my face. I consider it a great privilege. There's no downside to exercising your life well. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.